right. Ah, one thing. Good evening, everyone. So good to have you all with us tonight. While we're getting ready for our study in Revelation, let me just remind you all that um, day after tomorrow, Friday, the 8th, we will begin our White is the Gate conference, Standing Fast in the Last Days. And uh, that's going to begin at 7 o'clock on Friday, Friday evening at 7 o'clock. And um, we will be, um, let me get this straightened out here first, make sure I know what I'm doing, which I'm realizing I don't know what I'm doing. Okay, there we go. I know what I'm doing now. All right. Anyway, 7 p.m. will be the uh, starting uh, uh, session for for Friday night's uh, uh conference evening. Uh, both Ray Yungan and uh, Greg Reed will be speaking on on, uh, on a Friday night. And then Saturday morning uh, at 8 o'clock we're going to have uh, uh, continental breakfast uh, stuff available in the cafe. So um, get here early and, and get some coffee or refreshments. Uh, uh, again, continental breakfast doesn't mean anything but, you know, coffee, orange juice, and maybe a, some kind of a pastry of some sort, uh, maybe some fruit. Uh, I don't know. It's a surprise. So you'll have to come and find out what it is. But then right at, uh, right at, eight, at 9 o'clock, we'll start our sessions with uh, Carol Matriciana. She'll be with us on Saturday, as well as... Uh, 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 Warren Smith and uh, and Ray as well. Uh, two two morning sessions, one at nine, one at uh, around 10:30. Uh, break for lunch and then come back at one. We have two service uh, or two sessions at one o'clock and at two about 2:30. And then we have to get ready for the evening service. Now the evening service, one of our speakers will be speaking. As a matter of fact, uh, our film uh, director and and uh, uh, producer of all of the. Uh, uh, why does the gate videos? Uh, Carol Matriciano will be speaking on on um, on Friday evening. I'm sorry, Saturday evening, and then Sunday will be our 9 and 11 services, and uh, Warren Smith and Greg Reed will be teaching the two services. Uh, one will be at 9 and one will be at 11, and then Sunday evening to close out the uh, conference uh, starts at 5 o'clock. 5 o'clock start. So I want you to make sure you remember it's 5 o'clock. And uh, we want to get an early start so that we can get as much of, of the speakers and, and the panel discussion at the end uh, in uh, for a very um, long but uh, hopefully fruitful and uh, uh, strengthening weekend. So I urge you to pray. Uh, continue to pray for our speakers. They're excited. I've been talking to them this week, and, and they're all excited about being here and sharing uh, the things that the Lord has put on their hearts about uh, the church needing to be very discerning about the things that are going on in the, in, in the visible body of Christ today. But uh, we, need, we need to be praying for them and, 
And actually pray for yourselves. Pray that the Lord will really put it on your heart to be here for all the sessions, as many sessions as you can make. Because, and, and for the rest of the congregation to come. And we have other uh, Calvaries that are going to be bringing some people. And, and uh, we even heard that there's some people from the website, uh, White as the Gate website, some people coming in from San Antonio. They want to come to the... To the uh, they're coming a long way, you know. So uh, that should encourage our hearts that if we just have to go across town or across a few streets to get here, they're, they're coming from San Antonio. So that's, that's kind of encouraging. So... Uh, pray for them as well, but uh, pray that uh, that this weekend will be a very, uh, uh, very fruitful weekend, and that we will also uh, just uh, be able to take care of all of the uh, uh, financial costs of, of of having a conference of this sort. So please, uh, please keep that in mind. I'll remind you once again before we close. Well, let's turn to Revelation now, Revelation chapter 13. And I think you'll be able to understand a little bit of why this, this kind of a conference is so important uh, at this time of, of the church's life, where we are really living in what the apostles call the last days. And we're moving toward much of the conclusion or the fulfillment of much of Bible prophecy before the rapture of the church, before the church is taken out, so that the Lord can handle, or deal, I should say, deal with, with the nation of Israel, and deal then also with uh, uh, Satan and the Antichrist. We're dealing, we've been dealing quite a lot on, on this issue of, of Satan and the Antichrist here in Revelation 13, and, and we're not quite done. You'll notice that we're actually really moving on deep now, Three more verses into this chapter. So uh, you, you can't believe how often that, that uh, title changed, man, because it, it started at Revelation uh, 13, 3 through 10, then it went down to 3 through 7, and, and ended up at 3 through 5. You better be glad it ended up at 3 through 5. Okay? So, but let's read verses 1 through 10 of the text as we get into our study this evening. John writes, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast... Rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. And now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. Now remember, this corresponds with the prophecy given to Daniel. So uh, John has seen it from from the perspective of, of, of his place back in the history. Daniel was looking at it from from uh, actually history yet to be made, which means that he, Daniel actually begins with uh, the uh, lion and then goes to the bear and then to the leopard. So you see the, uh, the perspectives that they're looking at. So the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear. His mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded. And his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months. And then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. 
It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. Now I'm reading all of this because this is important actually to the three verses we're looking at tonight. So you have to get this whole complete picture. Verse 8, all who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the, of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with a sword must be killed with a sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. And we will, of course, come back to much of that next time. But our introduction to the person that we've been calling the Antichrist or the Beast has been quite extensive and revealing. And the extensiveness of that, uh, of that understanding of, of the beast is going to continue. And we've learned that the dragon, the serpent of old, known as Satan and the devil, is the ultimate imitator who functions as an angel of light himself. That trait being passed down to his own fallen angels as well as to the deceivers and the deceived. The fact that he is an angel of light. And he's deceptive about it. Now, well, this is something that Paul points out in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 13 through 15. He says, For such are false apostles. Now, notice, such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. Uh, some of this you're going to see very clearly in the topics that are going to be given during our conference here this coming weekend. But then he says, and no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. And therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. Again, it is all on the outside, it is all on the outward that you're going to see that they transform themselves into these things. Because we know that if Satan is, a, is as an angel of light, that's what, that's what you see on the outside, but we know what he's like on the inside. And the same thing goes for ministers who, as he describes, who transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, which tells us what? That they were not ministers of righteousness but they put on the facade, they put on the mask. And so he has his fake imitations of himself as a father. And yet he is so unlike our Heavenly Father. But Satan wants to be a God, doesn't he? And Satan wants to be worshipped, doesn't he? We've seen this. We saw it all the way back in the book of Genesis. What he was doing to overthrow what God had created to be good. We saw it in, in, in the uh, prehistoric, as it were, life of, of Lucifer. Who said he claimed that he desired to be sitting on the seat of the Most High. So we see that desire to be a God. Yet he's so unlike our Heavenly Father. Because our Heavenly Father is not a created being, but Satan is. 
And so, like Father, He has a Son. And His own Son we call the Antichrist. Or the Beast, as He's described in the book of Revelation here. Because He's not called the Antichrist in in the book of Revelation, but He is called the Beast. And as we mentioned, he's called a lot of other things, and we're going to tie a lot of those things from all the prophecies together. Consider him to be a satanic superman, but he is a man, the Antichrist. There have been many forerunners, we talked about this before, the many forerunners to the Antichrist, Hitler being one, so many others. But in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, it says the coming of the lawless one. That is another name for the Antichrist. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. So there's some power involved here. That's why we call him a satanic superman, because he is not like any other man. He has powers that are deemed to him through his connection to Satan. Satan has power, but he does not have power like our God. Let's always remember that. This is not this eternal battle that Hollywood has put, you know, has put out there where, you know, the, the, the forces of good and the forces of evil, they have this equality to them. There's no equality. God can wipe them out in a second, in a minute. But we see how all of this is, has been allowed. And the question comes up to us as believers in Jesus Christ is, who is our God? And who do we follow? And who do we believe? And who do we trust? For the world will have that same question put to them. Who is your God? Who do you follow? And who do you trust? God did not create man to make robots. But because God is a God of love, He created us with that understanding that we would have a free moral agency to say, He is, you are the one, Lord, that I want to follow. But Satan comes with all power signs, lying wonders, notice, deceptive wonders, because they're all based on lies. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. That God is the only one that has that kind of love to save those who are lost. And we were all born in sin. And therefore we were lost, but now we're found. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Well, we also took a cursory look at the image given to us by John of the Beast that rose out of the sea, having seven heads with ten horns and ten crowns on its horns. And I want you to consider how similar this image is to the description of the dragon of chapter 12. Go back to verse 3 of chapter 12. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. So what does that tell us? Like father, like son. (laughs) Oh, how Satan wants to be an imitation of God. And how he wants to have an imitation of Christ as his own son. 
And we can't disregard the description of the beast in verse 2 of our text, which connects us to the prophecy of Daniel quite clearly, as we saw last time, because it is the course of human government from Daniel's time until the ultimate rule and reign of Jesus Christ. In other words, the Babylonian kingdom, the Medo-Persian kingdom, and the Grecian kingdom, all expressed by the lion, the bear, and the leopard. Though as we see here, where am I? Oh, well, that's the same one. But one figure in the composite that we see needs to be pointed out. That composite of, of that beast. That's why Daniel 7 verse 8 is here. Okay. I had to remember. All right. I was considering, Daniel says, I was considering the horns. Horns representing power and plenty. I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one. You all see that. I was considering a horn, a little horn, coming up from, uh, among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. Now, I don't want to fail to mention that Daniel, as well as John in Revelation, both point out that there's a fourth beast. We, we talked about three, but there's a fourth hideous beast. I talked about that last week. So it's on that particular beast that we see this particular horn coming up uh, before whom three of the first horns were, were plucked out by their roots. And there in this horn, notice, were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words. So even Daniel is pointing out the character of this antichrist, this beast. And as I mentioned last time, we have to be open to what has been taking place globally in regards to the sweeping movement of Islam throughout the world. Something that was not taken into consideration in much of the prophetic conversation of a previous generation. There is no doubt, though, in Scripture that when the Lord comes to judge nations, and we all know that Jesus is coming to judge nations, there are a number of Scriptures throughout all of the Old Testament prophets that talk about the arm of the Lord coming. Do you know who the arm of the Lord is? It's Jesus. Sweet, meek, and mild Jesus. Why do I say that? Because everybody in the world wants to say, okay, yeah, we believe there's a Jesus, but he's sweet and meek and mild, and he, you know, he loves everybody, and he's going to accept everybody. Read the scriptures. Yes, he, you know, he loves, but remember, he didn't come the first time to judge. He came to save but when he comes again, how do we see him? I mean, we see him in all of his glory. We see him with a sword proceeding from his mouth, the sword of the word of God. And in some cases he comes and it describes his, the very work of judgment that he does, even to the extent that his robe, his white, beautiful white robe is stained with the blood of his enemies. We have to wake up. And remember, yes, Jesus is the one who came to die for our sins. He is the one who rose again from the dead. But he is the arm of the Lord. In other words, the Lord doesn't subcontract. Do you all understand? So in Scripture, when the Lord comes to judge the nations, those mentioned by name, because I don't want you to lose the connection to what I'm saying here about Islamic countries, 
But those mentioned by name, Egypt, Babylon, which is present-day Iraq, that area, Assyria, which includes also the, the Syrian nation in that particular area. Iran is mentioned as well as, as Persia. But Edom, which is Ju, uh, Jordan, Tyre, which is Lebanon, Dedan and, and Taman, which are actually in Saudi Arabia. These are just to name a few. They're all Islamic nations. And they're all going to be judged by the Lord himself. So think, keep that in mind. So with that in mind, let's, let's look quickly at verse 2, since we've already mentioned that the Antichrist is energized by Satan himself. Going back to verse 2 for just a moment. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of the bear. His mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power. Please notice. The dragon gave him his power. His throne and great authority. Now some people have asked, did Satan really have the authority to give his throne, implying that he gave the beast his kingdoms. Because when he says he gave him his power and his thrones, his throne, what does he say? It's implying that he gave him kingdoms. And authority as well. And, and people say, did, re- did Satan really have the authority? Well, let's, let's, let's consider that question. Because if you will... Consider that Satan offered to Jesus in the wilderness temptations when Jesus, right before he began his earthly ministry, he offered these kingdoms to Jesus in the wilderness temptations. Turn to Luke chapter 4. This is significant for you to understand the power that Satan does have. Though he does not have power like God does. And we've got to be thankful for that every time we can. Let's remember to give praise to God that he has power over all, especially over the enemy. But in Luke chapter 4 verse 5, it says, Then the devil taking him up on a high mountain. And remember the significance of mountains because mountains are what? Kingdoms. He took him on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Does he have that kind of power? I think God allowed him. God allowed him to do that. And the devil said to him, to Jesus, remember, all this authority I will give you and their glory. For this has been delivered to me and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. Now, I'm going, to, I'm going to go on and finish reading the next verse. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Now, if you go back to verse 7, though, think about this. He says, Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. Now, I want you to notice that Jesus doesn't correct Satan here about what he has to offer him. What he does correct him on in verse 8 is, get behind me because the, the, the word says you shall worship the Lord your God and him only. But the correction is not about what Satan said. He didn't say to Satan, hey, you don't have the power. They're not your kingdoms. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, think about that for a moment. Because I want you to remember something else that the scriptures tell us. 
Remember that Paul tells us in Ephesians 2 verse 1, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Do we know who that is? Yeah, that's, that's obvious. It's Satan. According to the prince of the power of the air. Does he have some authority and some power? Yeah, he's been given that. Who lost it? Man, where? In the garden? When we sinned? Who's going to pay for it? Satan. That's why Genesis 3.15 is there. That's why God tells the serpent what he's going to send through the seed of the woman to crush his head. Are you getting the picture here? All right. The Spirit who now works. Notice, the Spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Not to mention in other places like 1 John five nineteen. We know that we are of God and the whole world. Notice, the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. There's some power there. See? I don't want to give him too much power. I'm not, I'm not here to, you know, give him the power. But, but this is what the Word of God says. We have to go to the Word of God and understand what we're dealing with in, in this person called Satan who is doing what he's doing here in the book of Revelation. Second Corinthians 4 verse 3, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the, glory of the, uh, of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of, the, of God, should shine on them. So whose minds the God of this age has blinded. The God of this age. I mean, that sounds like a title to me. That the Lord is giving through, you know, through Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The God of this world. So, so please understand that we're really dealing with a wicked power. Well, we don't want to give him too much power here, but, but he, he has it. That's the point. So the next verse then to look at in respect to the beast is one of the most difficult to interpret. So let's begin with verse 3 now of our text. And it says, And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled and and followed the beast. Now, you know, the, the first picture that we get in our minds, of course, is that, you know, here's this beast, he comes on the scene, he's doing all these things, and within the first three and a half years, or the last three and a half years of, of uh, you know, after he, uh, after he breaks that covenant that he makes with, with Israel and all. But, but uh, you know, so here, here's this, this particular personality that now it says is described as having some kind of a mortal head wound. But remember, let's try to stay consistent. What, what are the heads? leaders and, and, and kingdoms as well, you know. So keep, keep that in mind. But, but again, that's the first thing we see, one of, the, one of his heads. Well, now remember, this is, this is figurative in essence because, you know, the, the, the Antichrist as a person is not going to stand at the podium at the United Nations with about seven heads on his body. You, you got the picture? So we have to remember to turn the, the, the symbolic or the allegoric into the literal. So here it says, I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and, and followed the beast. We say, wow, he's, you know, he's, he's going to be, uh, he's going to be killed. And, 
but, but you, you remember the words, as if it had been. Y'all, y'all underline that in your Bibles, okay? As if it had been. What is that telling us? It appears, right? There's an appearance of this. You got the picture with those words? Okay, so upon initial observation of this verse, we are inclined to think that this Antichrist will at some time during his wicked reign be the victim of an assassination attempt of some sort, receiving what will be a mortal or fatal head wound. Now, that can be considered because the phrase, as if it had been mortally wounded, is similar to the expression found in Revelation 5, verse 6, which speaks of Jesus. Now, if you go back, if you will, just to chapter 5, verse 6, for just one moment, and, and let's read it. It says, And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne, and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders. Remember, where is this? This is in heaven, right? Yes? Okay. It's in heaven, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain. Now, I want you to notice. Stood a lamb. Now, we know who that represents, right? It represents Jesus. As though it had been slain. Now, that's interesting, because those are the same kind of words that it describes of Satan in, in, in our text in verse 3. So he stood a lamb. So the, the idea is to see the representation that we know it's Jesus because he appears as one who has been slain. That's the point. He appears as one who has been slain. Therefore we know, hey, it represents Jesus. So you go back over here to verse, 30, to verse 3 and take as if it had been healed, or, or I'm sorry, as if it had been mortally wounded. The point then is to describe that it just shows the appearance of. That's the whole point there. So if that is the case, in other words, that it is just an appearance, it gives an appearance of, then Antichrist will be, in fact, faking his death. To appear in the same manner of being dead and coming back to life, as if Antichrist can rise from the dead. So you got the picture? All right. Now we know that God is, is the only one. We know this. We know that God is the only one who has power over life and death. Amen? God is the only one who has power over life and death. But if this is the scenario, because remember, it still has yet to be done, and we have to kind of be open to things, but we're looking at it because we're looking at the Scriptures. If this is the scenario, then this is another ploy to show that He must be God. To show to people that He must be God. And by the way, when I wrote that, I didn't put a capital G. That's just, just so you'll know. He wants to be that God with a capital G, but, you know, He's not. There's only one. There is no other. There's one God. But He wants to be seen as God. And so as the tribulation saints begin to witness of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, because that is what the two witnesses did. They, they spoke of the resurrection, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to the Jews going into the temple. And they were the ones who, who would also, you know, bring forth the, you know, well, I should say in Scripture, we all already met the 144,000. We're going to meet them again soon enough. Well, what are the 144,000 doing? They're also preaching Christ and Him crucified because that is the way to salvation. And there will be many tribulation saints coming to the Lord because they're beginning to see the truth. So they're going to be witnessing of the death of, and resurrection of Jesus Christ 
Well, at the very same time, the world will be pointing to the Antichrist and saying that he did the very same thing. So he must be a god. Okay, so that's what we see here. So obviously his recovery will increase his fame and authority. If we follow along the line of this being valid, and and we have to consider it as valid. But now, in Zechariah chapter 11, the prophet Zechariah tells us what a true shepherd is all about. Now remember, who is he trying to mimic? Christ, right? But in, so in Zechariah 11, the prophet's talking about what, what a true shepherd's about. But then in verses 15 through 17 of, of Zechariah 11, this is what he says. Okay. Oh, we, we, we skipped this part. Having seven horns, seven eyes, you know. It was the other part of verse 6 of chapter 5 that, that we wanted to see, and we did. All right, Zechariah 11, verse 15. It says, The Lord said to me, Next, take for yourself the implements of a foolish shepherd. So Zechariah is now contrasting the, the true shepherd with foolish shepherds, or vice versa. He's contrasting the foolish shepherd from the, from the true shepherd. And, and he says, take for yourself the implements of a foolish shepherd. For indeed, I will raise up a shepherd in the land who will not care for those who are cut off nor seek the young, nor heal those that are broken, nor feed those that still stand, but he will eat the flesh of the fat and tear their hooves in pieces. Now, we definitely know that isn't the the true shepherd, our shepherd, Jesus. Now remember, he's, he's speaking a prophecy of false shepherds to come, which kind of give us a foreshadowing of a false shepherd to come. False shepherds to this false shepherd. Woe to the worthless shepherd who leaves the flock. A sword shall be against his arm and against his right eye. Now this is interesting. A sword shall be against his arm and against his right eye. His arm shall, be, shall completely wither and his right eye shall be totally blinded. Interesting little prophecy. Because if you follow through to verse 14 of Revelation 13, I hope you kept your fingers in Revelation 13. Go back over to Revelation 13 very quickly and look at verse 14 of that chapter. The chapter we're studying right now. Because in verse 14 it says, And he deceives those who dwell. Now this is speaking of the uh, false prophet. Now we, we haven't got to him yet, but we will pretty soon. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. Wounded by the sword that struck his arm and his right eye, which is on his head. Okay? So, that's an interesting prophecy, isn't it? To coincide here with the understanding that if this Antichrist does get, to, you know, fake this assassination, it is the whole idea is, is to prove, you know, that he's, he's risen from the dead. But notice here it says that he was wounded. Quite possibly he could go to that extent of being wounded, but 
It says he was as if mortally wounded, which is the fake part back in verse 3. All right? So there are the others who view the head. Now, we're going to look at a different perspective now. Because there are others who view the head of the beast that is wounded, not as a man, but as a government. Because remember that the Antichrist is going to be so much so a world leader, a one world type of leader. And I pointed out a person who said that even back in the 50s, and there there were a few that were saying, man, what this world needs right now is one single leader who can unite all the countries and nations together. That's been being said for a long time. But there are those who view this head as, 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 a, as a government. In essence, they will say that it is the Roman Empire that had been dead, but will again be revived. Ah, Hitler tried to revive it, didn't he? He really did try to revive the Roman Empire as the Third Reich. But of course he failed. Praise the Lord for that. But uh, whatever is going to happen if this particular uh, uh, revival of an empire of that sort happens, the people, we're told, are going to marvel. They're going to, it's going to be like a wonder that it happens. But let me, let's become more specific here about this. To give you a little bit of a scenario that is very plausible and very possible. But some people are pointing out today that the head that was apparently wounded was that of what is called the Islamic Caliphate. The Islamic Caliphate. Which, which actually the, the, uh, the wounding of it or the abolishing of it as it were uh, was uh, actually something that happened in 1924. I'll explain in just a moment. But within the present Islamic empire, if you, you can call it that, it is rising anew, the caliphate. I'll explain. It is rising anew, this Islamic caliphate. And a large portion of the Muslim world will recognize this caliphate as under the leadership of what is called the Imam Mahdi, the Imam Mahdi, which is the successor uh, of Muhammad, which if you follow through on what we're going to talk about next week, it is the Antichrist. It is the Antichrist. And by the way, a caliphate, so I can explain it a little more clearly, is an Islamic state led by a supreme religious as well as political leader known as a caliph. And the previous caliphate was abolished in 1924 by the Turkish government, which was the Ottoman Empire that had the caliphate until the secular government of Turkey took over and they, and they abolished the caliphate. So there, you know, if you, if you study Islam today, you realize they're very... Uh, you know, kind of divided themselves in, in a lot of, you know, Shia, Sunni, Wahhabi, you know, there's, there's all kinds of little sects of, 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 uh, uh, of Islam today. And uh, as a matter of fact, some Islam, uh, some Muslims kill other Muslims, you know, because they, you know, they, they got all their reasonings for all of that kind of stuff, which is all just nuts. But, 
whatever, whatever it is, here it is. When the Mahdi comes, they all will be united. And they'll know who it is. And he will have the characteristics of that man that is described, especially in the book of Daniel, and described here in the book of Revelation. So, and then when you think about all the nations that God is, is going to judge through Jesus Christ, when he comes to judge the nations, as I mentioned already before, not one nation is not Islamic. Which means all those nations being judged are Islamic. Keep all of that in mind. Remember, we have to keep open mind here. So there are many factions in Islam, and one day they'll all recognize their Imam Mahdi. So whatever the case may be, the world will marvel nonetheless and will follow the beast. That marveling, that wonder, will be the first step toward worship. So the beast comes then with this purpose. The beast comes to deify Satan. What does it mean to deify? To make Satan God. The word deify comes from the root word deos, which means God. You know. Revelation 13 verse 4, so they worshipped. Notice, they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast. Satan was finally being worshipped. Or Satan will finally be worshipped. And they worship the beast. So not only is Satan worshipped, but so is the beast, the man. Saying this, and that is that those who are worshipping, who is like the beast who is able to make war with him? Or who is like the beast? Question. <laughs> who is able to make war with him? Who can make war with this man? who's risen from the dead, who has this power. So it seems that Satan will get his wish. All in all, very briefly, not only is he worshipped, but so is the beast. And there may be those who ask, how can, such, how can something like this happen? How can people worship Satan? How can people worship the beast? Let's, let's get real for a moment. People today worship movie stars. And they have for a long time, you know. Yeah, I hate to mention names. Right? Clark Gable. Some of you say, who's that? Marilyn Monroe. People worship rock stars today. Really do. They, they worship rock stars. Athletes. So on and so forth. But when you remove the true and living God from the picture... When you remove the true and living God from the picture, people will worship anyone or anything. They will worship someone or something. 
The English historian Arnold Toynbee put it this way back in 1953. He said, by forcing on mankind more and more lethal weapons and at the same time making the world more and more interdependent economically, technology has brought mankind to such a degree of distress that we are ripe for deifying any new Caesar who might succeed in bringing the world unity and peace. He said that in 1953. The world is ripe for deifying a man, making a man a god. In Exodus 15, verse 11, listen to what it says. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you? Well, what's the answer? There is none like him. So who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? I got, I got to revive the old song we used to sing, you know, in the, the King James Version of that. We used to sing that song all the time. Beautiful song. With, with so much meaning. Who is like unto our God? And yet there's coming a time soon that the world will be saying that of the beast. Oh, who is like him? Who can make war against this beast? Who can stand against this mighty man? Even death can't hold him down. But they're going to be sadly mistaken, for it is not the beast or even Satan who will stand, but the Lord himself is going to stand. The true and the living God is going to stand. Not the enemy. Now I read to you Revelation 19, verses 20, verse, verse 20. I'm going to say verses 20, because it's a big verse. It says, Then the beast was captured. This is going to happen. We're going to see that, you know, in study of more in depth later. But the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. Who's going to stand now? Do you see how excited we should be getting about what's going to happen in the end times? Because God is in control. God is truly the power over all things. How about Revelation 20 verse 10? The devil who deceived them. The devil also. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Can we praise the Lord for that? I say we should. See? But we have to realize this is yet to come. It's going to happen, but... Things are going to get worse before it gets better. That's why we need to be right with God now. That's why we, re, we really need to be right with Jesus Christ right now. Because those who are in the church today, every believer in Jesus Christ, in this country and in every country, wherever there is a believer, God is using us for His purposes until that day when Jesus comes and He says, it's time to take you home because I've got to come and clear up a big mess that, well, fallen man fell into the trap, but it's that devil that I'm going to really deal with. But all those who follow, all those who reject God and reject Christ, all those who worship the devil and take his blasphemous names with them, he has to judge. 
Let's consider and, and close out here with the, the, the other thing that the beast is coming to do. He's going to also come not only to deify Satan, but he's going to come and defy and take the place of Christ. He's going to defy Jesus and take the place of Jesus. That is what the beast comes to do. Let's look at verse 5 of our text now. It says, And he was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months. So this beast was given authority to make war against the saints. By the way, that's in verse 7, and we'll see that. And we're, Knowing that now, we'll, we won't spend a whole lot of time, because we've already talked about tribulation saints and how they're going to be targets of the enemy. But this beast was given authority to make war against the saints and all those who refuse to worship Satan. What does that sound like? That sounds like Nebuchadnezzar. That sounds like the, uh, you know, the issue there in the book of Daniel. And it didn't only happen one time. Nebuchadnezzar builds that big statue, you know, and everybody's supposed to bow, you know, and the, but the Jews didn't bow. Well, anyway, the, the, the ones who said, I'm not going to bow. They didn't bow. Daniel didn't bow. The Hebrew children didn't bow. Then there came the other kings, you know. Time and time again, Satan wants to be worshipped. And he wouldn't mind giving a little bit of of, of that uh, uh, notoriety to his his own servant as long as he's getting worshipped. You see, that's why it says Satan gets worshipped and so does the beast. The time frame is a familiar one, isn't it? The time frame is a familiar one. The last three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation period known as the Great Tribulation. This man will speak pompous words, speaking as he pleases, but mostly in a blasphemous way. As Daniel writes in Daniel 11, verse 36, he says, Then the king shall do according to his own will. The king shall do according to his own will. This is speaking of Antichrist. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every god. He shall speak blasphemies against the God of gods and shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished for what has been determined shall be done. In other words, what is written in the scriptures has got to be completed. It will be completed. There's not, well, you know, unless the whole world turns and then all of that will stop. No, no, no. God knew that this is going to happen. God knew that the world was going to be turning this way. But he also also gave us the solution. He sent his only begotten son. God knew all along. And, And it takes that courage that we talked about this past Sunday. Courage that comes from the power of the Holy Spirit to say with the Apostle Paul, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek or the Gentile. And many people have taken that stand and have lost their physical lives, but they have been carried into heaven because they took a stand for Jesus. Uh, Well, now as big and as tough as this man thinks he is, Paul tells us that he's really nothing in comparison to our God. If you go back to 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 8, it says, And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with his brightness, or with the brightness of his coming. All God has to do is breathe, man. That guy's gone. 
Praise the Lord. The Lord will put him in his place at the appointed time that God has set. And I just want to close right here and begin next time dealing with the issue of blasphemies. This is a very crucial issue for us to understand. The blasphemies that are being spoken by the Antichrist. So we're going to deal with the blasphemies to carry us on through hopefully verse 10 or beyond. Hopefully beyond, but we'll see. But nonetheless, we needed to begin with these blasphemies that Antichrist will speak. And, are, and by the way, they're being spoken today. Remember that John already said the spirit of Antichrist is already here. And if the spirit of Antichrist is already here, then what is being spoken by so many people today are in fact blasphemies against God, against Christ, against the tabernacle, and, and against, in, in, in essence, the Father and the Son. Now, if you understand this, the blasphemy spoken against the Father and the Son are all wrapped in... in uh, they're, they're in many different packages across the world, but primarily it is found mostly in the religion of Islam. But that's why I want to talk about it next time. So let's, let's leave with another encouraging picture of God's majesty and control. Let's, let's just turn to, to Psalm 27. We'll, we'll just close with this, just so we can be encouraged as we go out knowing, man, our, our God is in control. Our God is in control of all things. Let's, let's look at it. One thing I have desired, David says, one thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek. Now, I, I tell you, we, 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 we need to really bind our hearts to this, this psalm, especially this passage. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. Well, by the way, are, are you living life now? Are you alive? Take a pulse, please. I just want to make sure you're alive, okay? Because here's what David is saying, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Well, he's alive now, and he's alive... Well, he was alive then, and he's alive now because he is with the Lord. He's... He's, he's with his God. He's dwelling in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. But it, be, it begins here. You understand? It begins here. Oh, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Can we behold those things here today? Of course we can. We have his word. We have his presence. We have his spirit. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. He's not going to have trouble in heaven, is he? No, of course not. Therefore, what is it talking about? His life here. In the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted above my enemies all around me. Not going to have any enemies in heaven. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Ah, do it now. Don't wait till you get to heaven. If you wait till you get to heaven, you may not get to heaven. <laughs> so get to heaven now by getting to Jesus now and letting Jesus come into your life. Be filled with the love of Jesus. Be filled with His Word. Be filled with His Spirit. Be filled with all the wonderful things that Jesus is all about. Most importantly, be saved. Be saved. Be safe. Don't lose out. Don't wait. We can't wait.
We don't know what's going to happen when we go out these doors. I mean, we have plans, but there may be other plans that we not, we're not aware of. Be ready to know your Savior. Know him now. Let's pray. Father, thank you.